0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. I'm the problem. Uh, A a song sung by... Uh, some young lady who dates Travis Kelsey, uh, plays for the Chiefs. Uh, some of you are Swifties, and then some of you are f- you know, football fans. And so that's how you know them. But you know, why would we as a church even cover this really, really famous song as she kicked off her, you know, from the album, as Swift kicked off her Eras tour, which is some you know, hundreds of millions of dollars tour, uh, which means clearly this song is really popular. It's me, hi, I'm the problem. And then she sings about how she sees herself among all these just like people that she's like, hey, they're all just wonderful people. Maybe I'm the monster lurching slowly, pierced through the heart. As she sings the song, if you see the music video, um, her kind of alter ego is pointing to a board that says, everyone will betray you. And if you listen to the whole song, later in it, she says that she imagines a day when her uh, daughter-in-law murders her to, to get all her money. So when you hear it, you think, man, she might have some trust issues. A little bit. She, she might struggle with feeling used. People just want to take from her. But here's the thing about really famous songs. They're not famous because it just tells, you know, the story of a famous singer. They're they're popular. They're big deal. They make the top of the charts because they say what we all feel. Meaning we relate to it. When you're hearing it, you're going, yeah, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. And then some of you, when you say it, it's sarcastic. Because you feel like everybody's pointing at you like, it's you, you're the problem. And so you're going, yeah, it's me. I'm the problem? And maybe you struggle with some trust issues. Maybe you feel like everybody will betray me. Maybe you have felt like you've even had daydreams or visions of people just using you and taking advantage of you. See, the reason why songs like this make it this far is because they put words to how we feel and they become lyrics that we didn't know how to say. But we relate to it because we all have had moments in life when we felt betrayed. We all have trust issues. We all have felt Used at moments and there are people that you've had to delete photos of there's people that you've had to remove from your contact list you've had to unfriend, unfollow and when another one of your friends posts a picture and that person's face shows up on your feed it's like you get, you feel stung again it hurts oh and by the way we live in a world that's incredibly divided I mean Nations want to wipe other nations off the map. People hate to the point of willingness to murder and destroy and devastate. One group of political people, they don't just can't get along. I mean, they they would literally want to wipe the other people off the map. I mean, we have a hard time with relationships, don't we? Is that at least the takeaway? Man, we're having a tough time with this. And it's not just some other country. It's right here in our home, in our backyard. And hurting hearts create hurting homes and hurting neighborhoods and hurting communities. And that's really what's at the heart of that song. And so I want to bring you to another poetically written story. It's written, it's included in the Bible, and, and you might not know this, so I'm going I'm to kind of quickly give you a background to it, but the Bible is written within two volumes uh, or in like two, two um, portions to it. The Old Testament, which is 39 books that make up the story of God and man before Jesus or before Jesus shows up on earth. And then you have the New Testament, which is the arrival of Jesus and and then the story of Jesus and the church afterward, okay? So the New Testament is 27 books, the Old Testament, 39 books. Um, The Old Testament is broken up into law, history, and then wisdom literature, and then the prophets. This wisdom literature is written poetically and like the lyrics to a song. It's not just about the author. Like, meaning the song isn't just like about Swift and what happened to her, She's writing, here's what happens to us. And similarly, when you get into this wisdom literature, specifically the story of Job, so in wisdom literature would be uh, Psalms, Proverbs, but we got this story of not Job, but Job, who uh, the story is, because it's poetic, it's not just about what happened to this guy Job, it's about what happens To us. So as I go through this, and as we go through this series on Job, that's what I want you to kind of hear, is this isn't just about him, it's what happens to all of us. So as we jump in, the story is set with, like, basically everything is great. You with me so far? It it kind of opens a little bit like if I was reading a story to my kids at night. So we're going to read it kind of that way. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. You with me so far? And so it's poetically kind of story tell, tell or written. Like everything is going great. This guy loves God. He's got a great life. And kind of the most significant riches of his life is this. It's found in verse two. He had seven sons and three daughters. I feel like I can relate a little bit. I got three daughters and three sons. And I feel like, that makes me the richest man on the earth. Like, that's the richest part of my life, my, my home. And that, that's Job. And, and then it goes on to just say how great everything is. And part of the reason it's great is because God protects him. God's surrounding his businesses. And so he's incredibly wealthy. He's got a great life. He, he regularly prays for his family. When his kids are getting together and they're going to have a big birthday celebration back, he stays home just to pray for his kids. Some of you, you, you know what I mean. Your, ki- your kids are going off to college or they're going out for the night and you stay back and you're just, you're, you're half in tears, half in prayer. God, would you protect it? Help them make good decisions. Help them not direct their life and make, it, make a decision that they can't take back. Like that's Job. Job's just kind of, he, his hurts for his family. He wants them to do what's right. He wants them to experience what's best. And then the enemy so again, you're thinking about it like a, the way a story is written. Uh, and so he goes, this, the way it's written is like, then the enemy shows up and goes to God and tells God, God, the only reason why Job is, loves you and honors you is because everything is perfect in his life. If it wasn't perfect, he'd curse you. And in some very uncomfortable switch, that's hard for us to explain, God says, okay, I'll allow you to devastate Job. Look, you think as a pastor, I can explain this stuff? I've studied this. I don't know. You know what else I don't know? I don't know why it's hurt so much in your life. I don't know why marriages fall apart. I don't know why people die. I don't know why you got betrayed and rejected. Like, we don't have easy answers for that. And if there was an easy answer, you know what I think? I don't think it would be acceptable to us. Meaning if if I could give an easy answer for why all of the horrible pain in your life happened, you would not accept that easy answer because it's not that easy. So I love the fact that somewhere in here, there is no easy answer. In fact, this book is 42 chapters long and never once does it provide the answer for why all these horrible things happen to Job because his life just falls apart. His business collapses, all of his livestock, right? Because wealth in that time would have been like sheep and camels and cattle. They all get slaughtered or captured. The hundreds of people that work for him, all killed. Then this verse, 18, while he was still speaking, meanwhile, one of the messengers came and was giving a report of all the devastation. While he was still speaking, another messenger uh, showed up and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the, de- the desert, struck the four corners of the house and it collapsed on them and they are they are dead. And I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. Job, I'm so sorry. You've lost everything. The next verses that I'm not gonna unpack right now. Job rips his clothes. You get it. This is every parent's worst nightmare. He falls on the ground, and then he begins to cry and pray. And it goes something like this. God, I came into this world with nothing, and I know I'm going to leave with nothing. I'm going to worship you no matter what. I can't make sense of it, but I'm going to trust you no matter what. His wife hears this. She's lost everything. And you go to the next chapter and it says, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Like, are you kidding me? Curse God and die. You've been faithful to God. Look what he did to you. You've done right. God's done you wrong. Just turn your back on him and walk away and be done with this life. At least that's honest. I'll bet you didn't even know that the Bible had stuff like that in it. That honest. Thanks, honey. That's exactly what I needed. That's real encouragement. And then it goes from bad to worse. Now, here's the deal in the, in the book of Job, there's about three chapters that tell the story, and all of the rest of the book is conversation. It's the dialogue, which is pretty accurate to life. Like a portion of our life is what's happening, and then a lot of our life is how we respond to it. Right? It's, it's the conversations we have. It's the stuff that's going on in our head. And so the book of Job is like a snapshot into how we live. And so it's the story of this guy who goes through incredible suffering because there's a horrible evil lurking that's out to get us and devastates and destroys and leaves us destitute. And then it's all the stories about how we respond. And, and a lot of the response is a few of Job's closest friends who come to him while he's hurting. And then this and the story gets much worse, by the way, and we're gonna talk about that another time, but he gets deathly sick. I mean, everything falls apart. And his friends sit there, and then they start to talk, and this is where everything goes wrong. They start to condemn him and judge him. They start to tell him all the things that he's done wrong to God and why God is doing this to him. Job, after dealing with this for several chapters, he finally speaks up and he goes, I am, are you kidding me? It it sounds a little bit like the, it's me, hi. I'm the problem, except said in a sarcastic way, because what it feels like is all of his friends are saying, it, It's you, hi, you're the problem. And so he in chapter 12, verse 4, he says, I become a laughing stock to my friends, though I called to God and he answered, I'm a mere laughing stock, though righteous and blameless. He goes, This is not what I needed. In fact, if you jump in to uh, jump ahead just a few more chapters, he kind of says this again. He goes, everything you're saying, because here, here's what the friends are saying. Job, you did wrong to God, and God's taking it out on you. You mean you're being punished. You didn't have enough faith. You just need to trust God more. You need to go to church more. You need to pray harder. Like he's saying, they're, they're saying to him, on behalf of God, all of the religious things, and Job speaks up and he says something like this, I have heard many of many things like this before, meaning a lot of people talk the way you talk. I've heard all of this stuff before. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Again, this is really honest. Kind of like lyrics to a popular songs. Just brutally honest, right? You miserable comforters. And then he and then he really throws the jab. He goes, "Will your long-winded speeches Never end. In essence, when will you shut up? Because he goes, don't you realize that part of what I'm going through is the grief cycle? Normal people, when they lose everything, they begin to bargain with God. They kick into denial this can't be happening to me. They get angry. Look, I'm saying this not for Job's sake, not for you to understand this story, but for you to understand you. Maybe you've, got, maybe you've had in your life some miserable comforters and what you need to be reminded of is that when you go through deep relationship hurt, when you've got great loss in your life, you're going to go through seasons when you try to bargain with God. God, if you do this, I'll do this. You kick into denial and try to pretend that it's not happening. You get angry. Sometimes you even get angry at God. One of, the, one of the points of this story is that it's okay. God's big enough, He can handle your anger. Job fell into depression. I cursed the day I was born. It would be better that I had never been born. You know what? You know what's great about this? It's okay. God can handle you having moments when you can't handle yourself. God can handle the moments when you curse the day you're born. See, the point was he was in this grief cycle. And instead of his friends being there with him and for him, they judged him, condemned him, and they weaponized religion. But his response is this. I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But now lean in because a man who's lost everything is about to give his friends some counsel on how to comfort him. He goes, you know what I would have done? But my mouth would encourage you and comfort from my lips would bring you relief. You know what I needed in these moments? Encouragement. And relief. I hope that today, the rest of this sermon offers some relief and some encouragement. Here's what Job does as you turn the page. Job begins to say, I've lost all my relationships. There's hurt, there's betrayal. I've been used, I've been mistreated. In fact, let me read it. This is Job chapter 19. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me a foreigner. They look at me as a stranger. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I have loved, those I love have turned against me. What do you do when you feel like that? He has an answer. He goes like this. I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Now, I understand that probably most of you wouldn't, wouldn't quickly know what the word redeemer, you've heard the word redeemer, like that's a word that we use in a church Christian context, but you got to go back to this ancient time when like if, if someone murdered a family member, a redeemer defends the family and sticks up for them and fights for justice for the person who had been murdered. In essence, Job is saying, I have been brutally murdered and God will step in and justify me and defend me and defend my blood. Even though I feel like God is the one who has struck me. He can overlook even my frustration with him. He lives. I don't serve a book. I don't serve a religion. I don't worship the practice of Christianity. Now this is pre the New Testament. He goes, I, I serve a living God who will intervene and step in and fight for my own Murder. I have a God who, he, he saw me enslaved by injustice, who goes and fights against my slave masters, takes them out and rescues me. He pays the price for my redemption. He avenges me. There's, these are words that are similar to redeemer. He avenges me. He vindicates me, meaning he goes to court and he defends me when I'm on trial. He is my champion in the ring. When I was being bludgeoned by the enemy, he went in and he took the blows and he fought back and he knocks out my enemy. All of that put into the one word when he says, I know my redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. He'll stand in the ring. Okay, let's connect the dots here because I want to make sure this makes sense for you. People who are saying... It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. I'm, I'm a monster slowly lurching, pierced through the heart. How does this make sense for us? How do we take a poetic story about bizarrely about a guy who lost everything, whose friends are jerks, whose whose family turned on him? Here, here's the key. Only healthy hearts have healthy relationships. Healthy hearts equal healthy homes. Healthy hearts, healthy relationships. We, we give uh, pre-marriage counseling advice, something like this. Two halves don't make a whole. If you're broken going into marriage, you know what you're gonna have? A broken marriage. If things are not healthy in your heart when you get married, they're not gonna be healthy in your home. So our you know, the whole point of pre-marriage counseling is healthy hearts. You know what the point of marriage counseling is? Healthy hearts. You got to get healthy if you want a healthy marriage. Like you can't fix mess unless you fix you. That's the point. So what's going on here is Job is going, I got to fix me. How? You know how healthy hearts start? You know where you begin to develop a healthy heart? With God. My creator, my redeemer. Here's the real problem. The reason why my heart's not healthy is because there's something deeply wrong inside of me. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's me, hi, I'm the problem. Not sarcastic. I'm not saying every time you've been betrayed, hurt, abused, mistreated, lied about is your fault. I'm saying that you and I can acknowledge it's me, hi, I'm the problem. Somewhere deep inside of us, something is deeply broken. And that's what Jesus... Job and his really bad friends all agreed and called sin. They just misdiagnosed it. And they said, Job, it's your sin that's causing all this problem. No, it's just sin. Your sin, my sin, everybody's sin. It just causes wars and devastation and loss and ruin and hate and hurt and revenge and division and destruction. Sin is this metastasized cancer that sabotages all relationships. And the answer is God. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, He will stay on the earth. And so the key is this healthy hearts are reconciled with God. The word reconciled or reconciliation is a word to describe fixing a broken relationship. Healthy hearts are fixed. In broken relationship with God. The relationship was broken. Healthy hearts means it's made right. Where do do I get this idea from? Well, I can tell you what happens. You know, that sin problem, it separates us most importantly from God. And when things are broken with us and God, they're gonna be broken between us and everybody else. Actually, worse than that, they're gonna be broken inside of us. And when it's broken inside of me, it's not healthy. An unhealthy heart, has unhealthy relationships, a hurting heart has hurting relationships because of my relationship with God. So what what does God do? Job is looking ahead to a day when God would step in and take on this blood fight, avenge us, become our champion, our vindicator. When did Jesus do that? Oh, that's right. Not when he's teaching, not when he's healing, not when he's raising the dead man, Lazarus, but when he's hanging on a cross, Dying the death we deserve. And as he's hanging, if you jump ahead to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 45, it reads this way, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," which is translated or means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus forsaken so that you could be accepted. Jesus rejected so that God the Father would look at you and say, welcome home. Jesus took on our curse, our sin, our judgment, and the Trinity was ripped apart in a moment. The perfect union that God the Father has, because we only believe there's one God, right? One God who is three persons, revealed in three persons. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. It's a mystery. We can't even understand God. And that's kind of good, because if you could understand God, then it's not God. Okay, so you're part of a cult, if they think they can perfectly explain God. Here, we acknowledge, we don't get it, but we can tell you, the Trinity is one God, three persons, and in a moment, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Meaning there's a tearing in heaven. Heaven itself is being cut apart as God the Father is separated, rejecting, cutting off Jesus. Why? Because of you and me. Jesus saying, I'll take your sin it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. I'll absorb all of your pain, all of your suffering, all of your shame, the eternal judgment you deserve. I'll take it all on myself. And Jesus died in our place. What's the point? That's what it cost for you to be in right relationship with God, reconciled Jesus paid the price. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. God did all the work. He stepped from heaven to earth to redeem us. He stepped into the blood feud. He stepped into the ring. You were not just bloodied. You were laying dead on the boxing ring floor. And Jesus stepped in and he took on your death. He took on your sin judgment and died in your place. And then the champion God back on his feet resurrected from the dead victorious over sin death and eternal judgment Wow The horror of the cross only makes sense when you think about it through the lens of that's how much it cost to bring you into right relationship with God to fix what's broken When healthy hearts are reconciled into relationship with God, something amazing begins to happen. If you jump just further ahead, the story of Jesus to the church, the Apostle Paul writes two letters to the church in Corinth. In his second letter, chapter 5, verse 18, he's talking about this very idea. And he says it like this. All of this is from God, meaning it's a gift, who reconciled us to himself. How? Through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So everything we have we got from God, who did all of the work. But when he did the work, he gave you the gift, the ability to reconcile relationships with others. Okay, you following me so far? That God was reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, God was making all broken relationships right through Jesus. The cross is what heals. You you know what would heal the Middle East? Jesus. You know what's going to heal the partisanship in our nation? Jesus. You know what's going to heal your home? Jesus, when you and I are reconciled in relationship with God, then and only then can we have healthy relationships. Why? Because it continues and says, what was God doing? Not counting our sins against us. He was forgiving us. He was cleansing us. He was washing us. He was vindicating us. He was our champion. Look, if you need a champion, if you need a, a, someone to go in and fight your fight for you, if you need someone to vindicate you in the court, you know you're guilty. You just want somebody to get you off. Jesus doesn't get you off. He took your judgment for you. When you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven, given new life. Can I just pause and say, if that's where you're at, would you put your faith in Jesus? Not religion, not activities, not your best efforts, in Jesus. We're gonna put a QR code up on the screen and you can scan that. Let us know that you're believing in Jesus right now that you've put your faith in Jesus, you're here in person, scan that, join us online. There's a link or a QR code, you can scan it, fill it out. Let us know because we wanna encourage you and cheer you on as you begin this new journey of relationship with God. Now, I I got you to this point because I wanna make sure that you don't think there's some quick fix. You, You get it? Your healthy heart cost Jesus everything. That's the extreme he had to go to in order to heal you. What did, he, what did the Apostle Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19? He, he was at work through Jesus, reconciling the world to himself and giving us the gift of reconciliation. As you're healthy, you make others healthy. Do you know that's how the story of Job ends? Listen to this. The end of Job, God tells Job to pray for his friends who have been kind of like jerks. And Job prayed for his friends, and the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. As Job prayed for others, his life began to transform. There's a principle there. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him at his house. There was healing in his home. They comforted comforted, and consoled him. It's interesting. As God transformed his heart, he opened his home. He was able to pray for people. And as they came in, they brought healing to him as well. Here's the connection. Healthy hearts heal relationships. Start with a healthy heart. Your heart needs to be healthy. You need healing. And as you experience healing in your heart, relationships will begin to heal. I'm not guaranteeing you everything is gonna go back to the way it was. In fact, I can guarantee you it won't. But I can guarantee you this. If your heart will be healthy with God, reconcile with God, he will begin to clean your heart. He'll begin to heal your heart. He can forgive. And then what he gives, he, what he gives to you, Listen to me. What he gives to you, he gives through you. He forgives and he forgives others. He heals your heart to bring healing to hearts. Let let me give you a couple quick lessons because I want to make sure you don't miss this. You know what Job's friends didn't do? They didn't just show up and be present. You want a healthy you want to bring healing to your relationships show up and be present just spend time with people another lesson they talked a lot more than they listened they argued they judged they condemned and they spoke on behalf of God things that God was not saying don't do that listen longer if a book was written about your interactions with somebody who you've got a broken relationship with, make sure that it's not an account of a lot of the things you said. listen long. let people bear their hearts because as people bear their hearts they bear their pain, their hurt and when you when people share their hurt and their pain, They are inviting you into a sacred space. You know what sacred space means? It's where God is. When people share their heart and their hurt and their pain, they're inviting you to a place where God is present and you can bring God's presence. When somebody shares their hurt and their pain, then you can say things like this. How can I pray for you right now? what do you need to hear from God right now? Rather than you speaking on behalf of God, things that God isn't saying, what does God want to speak to them through his word? Maybe there's a passage of scripture you can encourage them with. Maybe there's, maybe there's a song or a, a, some word that you know from your own encouragement, I mean, what you've received, that will be relief to them. Remember, encouragement and relief. So how do we end this? It's a challenge. Give what you've been given. I know that you just hearing me preach is not gonna fix your home. I know that this isn't gonna just fix a fractured relationship because you need God to show up. Like God showed up to Job and do something only God can do and you've gotta be, well, got be willing to be participating or participate in that. Reconciled, reconciling. So can I at the very least invite you to participate as we land this right now? How? I, I, I thought about it, I was like, I don't know, I'm just gonna make it up. Okay, this is me being really honest because Job is honest and the Bible is honest. So here's what I'm invite you to do. Would you close your eyes? Open your hands. Come on, you can do this with me. None no, of you are that hard-hearted. You can all do this with me. Turn your hands toward heaven. Come on. You need this. Think about the broken relationships, things that are not right, and we're gonna give that to God right now. And here's what I'm gonna do. You're gonna, you're, gonna re- you're gonna repeat what I pray, and you're gonna make it your prayer, okay? So I'm gonna say a phrase, and then you're gonna repeat it out loud. Can we, can we do that? Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, I need your help. Would you heal broken relationships in my life? Where there's hurt, would you bring hope? Where there's brokenness, would you bring wholeness? I'm inviting you into my life, and what I receive Help me to give. Give me the gift of reconciliation so that I can have healthy relationships. Where Jesus is present. In your name, amen. That's a start. It's a beginning. Healthy heart made possible through re- reconci- reconciliation with God. Healthy hearts heal relationships. Can I invite you to stand with me? And let's just, what we're gonna do is we're gonna make this our declaration. We're not gonna end low. We're gonna end strong saying, God, you're a God who holds it all together. You make the wrong things right. So let's celebrate this now. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.